0: Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, the weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album every week. I'm your host, David Lucarelli.
1: This is John
2: Carson. This is Mike
0: Gavin. And today we're going to take an in-depth look at the 1978 peter chris solo album before we get into that we like to play two or three songs that uh we've all been a part of just to let you know what we do in the rock world so uh john what would you like to play
1: i'm just gonna stick with almost nightfall unless do you, do you have any of that kill devil hill use usable at all or no i would assume not it's all on cassette right that's uh, I, no I think
0: i can probably dig something up all right try that
1: man do uh neverland or something
0: all right you got it <clears throat> all right Uh, mike well
2: i think you can access uh the blessings uh so hard to be your friend you can find that online so uh, okay that also has a chord that i'm going to discuss in the song as well so yeah the blessings so hard to be
3: your friend
0: 1978 kiss does what no band had hitherto done they release four complete independent solo albums and peter chris before we get into discussing the song by song i just want to say a few things about this album in general um i think it was a hard sell for the fans who were mostly young at the time who were probably in their, you know, early to mid teens. Um, This was kind of completely against the brand that Kiss had established at the time. I mean, you know, you look at everything that they had put out into this point and it all broadly falls into the category of hard rock, generally speaking. But the two songs that Peter Criss had put out, As singles from Kiss, Beth and Hard Luck Woman were very different, very unlike uh, what Kiss was known for. So in a way, I sort of feel like this album was a very brave move uh, to, you know, for Peter to put out an album that is essentially light R&B and kind of saccharine pop uh, that really takes its roots from the fifties and the sixties, uh, in a lot of ways, more so than, than, uh, you know, any of the other kiss albums. Um, I think this album was always going to be a hard sell and a couple of other things I, I wanted to say before we get into the songs, you know, I think one of the problems with, with rock reviews is that a lot of times people review albums for what they aren't right you know so you have a guy that says i'm gonna review the rush album who's declared that you know he thinks all rock and roll should be about sex drugs and rock and roll and you know right off the bat he says well this is a terrible album because the lyrics are pretentious claptrap and these guys couldn't write a straight ahead rock song to save their lives but that's not what they were trying to do right so so there's that um we have to review this album for what it is, not for what it isn't. And I, I think the, the other thing I want to say is, I don't know if you guys remember this. I think it was uh, when Motley Crue headlined the Shout at the Devil tour at the Stanley Theater. Uh, I remember very vividly, there was a, a, the rock critic for the, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette or the press or whatever it was. He was sick that day. So they had a guy who like, was a classic musical critic uh like jete down in the middle of a concert from Heinz Hall and just sort of poke his head into the into the Stanley Theater for 40 minutes uh to give the review of Motley Crue. And needless to say, he hated it, but he would have hated it anyhow because he was a classical <laughs> musical critic, music critic, and you know that wasn't the type of music that he liked. So I want to qualify all of these statements that we're about to say with the idea that this is not the kind of music that I normally listen to or enjoy, generally speaking. So I may not be qualified to really give this album that honest of a review. Um, But in general, it's competent, it's in time, it's in tune, it's well-produced, the song structures are tight. There are hooks. But if people look at this podcast and they say, this sucks, I'd also have a hard time arguing with them. So let's take a look at the songs. I'm going to love you.
1: Uh, okay, so I'm gonna, I'll go first. It's got a honky-tonk feel to it. It's, it sounds like he's got an open snare that he's playing. And it is another one of the fitting of the KISS albums, the solo albums that start with a song about heartbreak um, or being, you know what I mean, like uh, coming back to somebody or something like that. Like, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I didn't like it. I mean, that, that's just technically speaking what I noticed about it. I mean, the drums sound great. I'm not even sure he played drums on these again. Like I said, I didn't do any research on this. Like I didn't look up who wrote anything. My understanding is a lot of this is covers are written by someone else. Um, but like it, it led me kind of flat to put it bluntly. It just really did not do anything for me aside from listening. The first thing that popped out was, I'm getting, it might've been a Tom, I don't know, but it sounds like, the open, there's an open snare, you know what I mean? It's not tuned too tight, so it doesn't have a crack. It sort of has a little bit of a bassier sound to it. Uh, and also the fact that Peter Chris has like a decent voice, which again is something that whenever I read about Peter Chris, it's always like, or see bootleg copies of him singing Beth or Hard Luck like Woman or like that, he's struggling to do it uh, when he's, you know what I mean, when he's trying to do it actually live. So I'm pretty impressed. The information that I got from the Paul Stanley book is that they had to feed him line by line to do it. So is that what they had to do with this? Because that strikes me as something you'd have to do. You know, this is 10 songs or whatever that you would have to go line by line to sing. So he does have a strong voice, um, despite what other people have said. Uh, But again, song just doesn't do anything for me.
2: Um, you know, this is might sound, you know, a little crazy, but, uh, from a guitar player's perspective, you know, I, you know, even as a kid, when I got this record, I, I didn't get it as a kid. I thought it just sounded like something, you know, my grandparents should be listening to. Uh, but interestingly enough, from my perspective now as a guitar player and learning about chords, this has almost become my new favorite record. Ah, uh, good. We have a, we have someone in this corner. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And here, you know, and I'll get to the reasons why, but uh, there's some quick, quick uh, background on this. I guess uh, when Peter's looking for producers, the original producer he wanted to have was Tom Dowd, who had produced uh, Rod Stewart, uh, Allen Brothers, far back as Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Liners, you know, tons of bands, right? So apparently, you know, Tom didn't take any interest in it at all. Uh, so Peter was you know, scrambling to try to find producers, and I guess he wanted, sh- uh, well, Sean Delaney wanted to produce it, but then he already got roped in to produce the Gene record. Uh, so that's that's how Peter got involved with Vinny, and then I guess uh, Sean. Um, I, I read a story just today. Uh, supposedly, you know, Gene called Sean at some point, and uh, Sean was like, "Hey, this Peter album's uh, you know a disaster. We don't have enough songs. You know, what should I do?" And supposedly, Gene said, "Well, you know, write some demos, record them, send them to Peter, and we'll see, you know, we'll see what he can do with it because you can't have you know a five-song record." So uh, apparently, a lot of, you know the songs uh, that uh, Sean quote-unquote uh, co-wrote. Um, were supposedly the demos that he sent to Peter, and I guess Peter doctored them up with, with overdubs and stuff. I don't know how true that is, um, but I guess you know Sean was basically kind of bummed that he wouldn't be in the producer chair. But I think on the songs that he co-wrote, he did get a uh, co-producing uh, credit on this.
0: Yeah, much like Paul Stanley, they they had they used recordings that were meant to be demos uh, as the final recordings. I've read that too.
2: Yes. Exactly. And, then, and uh, some other history, too. Um, a lot of the other songs are co-writes um, with Peter's friend, uh, Stan Penridge, who I guess was in a later version or the, you know, the end version of Chelsea uh, with Peter in 71, 72. Um, and there's also some debate on whether or not, you know, Peter had a lot of in, input on writing these songs. Uh, you know, was it the, the idea that Stan had these songs and Peter gave him credit, you know, just you know, asked for credit, said, listen, I need some songs. You know, we got to do whatever we got to do. Who knows? Um, but nonetheless, uh, to, John brought up a point, too, about Peter and his drums. He did play on all the songs except for I Can't Stop the Rain, uh, Rock Me Baby, and Easy Thing. And that's Alan Schwartzberg, who was, I believe, on the, the Gene Simmons album as well. Um, but this brings up a couple of interesting points, too. Um, you know, we were talking about you know evaluating this from you know a rock point of view, you know, again, you know if the idea was for all these guys, you know four guys to to make you know a kiss like record, then what's the point of a solo record? You know maybe you know Gene had the right to come up with something that was a little you know thematic or you know interesting or you know sideways, however gonna look at it. Um, maybe this was Peter's chance to say, you know, I'm gonna do what I want to do, and whether you like it or not, you know that's your you know that's your issue. But then again, too, Nobody needs, you know, five versions of Beth on on one record, if you will. So it's a little heavy in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we mentioned uh, Peter playing drums. I was going to bring this up, too, because if you think about it, this is uh, mid-1978. They they come around next uh, year and record Dynasty. I mean, Peter's drumming, particularly on certain songs. He's got a great shuffle. He sounds like he's playing great drums. I mean, how bad could you get between now and, you know, we'll get to Dynasty? When Peter didn't play on that record at all, it's just weird to
0: to figure that out and try to analyze that. Well, I think the the thing that happened is he was in a fairly severe car accident, right? Yeah, that... that's what I heard. But yeah. <laughs> no, but I thought no,
2: from what I read, that that accident that he had was during the filming of Kiss Meets the Phantom, which was before these albums were recorded. Supposedly he and Fritz, I think Fritz was there either stage manager or, or road manager. Uh, Fritz was in the passenger seat. Peter broke his hands, you know, broke some ribs, and you know, broke. Some, anyway. He barely could, you know. It's almost as if he, it's amazing that he played on this record at all. But what I'm saying is if he did, the drumming is still, you know, on par with quality from your know, previous KISS records. So I'm pretty certain from what I read that the accent was before this album or was during the time when this record was recorded.
0: Okay. Um, question for you, Alan Schwartzberg, the guy that did the drums on those three tracks, is he, the, yes. is he the same guy that drummed on I on The Elder? You know, I I believe so. Okay. I believe so,
3: yeah.
2: But, you know, nonetheless, then the reason, you know, I, you know, and I'll start with this. I, I learned, you know, I learned a lot from this song about, you know, where Peter was going. Because I think if he was trying to go with Tom Dowd as a producer, he probably wanted a Rod Stewart type of sound. And I think the song I'm going to love you has like that sort of, you know, faces, rolling, uh, rolling stones, Rod Stewart sound, you know, with these kind of. Uh, you know There's a lot of like, you know, Stonesy type rhythms happening here. Sure. Um, you know, and, and again, I think, you know, there's the horns on this. Yeah, to me, it seems, you know, there's a lot more to, to delve into that um, I didn't really pick up on, you know, when it came out. that I'm finding interesting now, too, because I just did a recording with uh, The Blessings, and we had a horn section on two songs, and I helped, you know, coordinate that. And it was really interesting to see how, you know, guitars and vocals and horns and how that all layers in. You know, to me, I just I just discovered a whole bunch of things about this record that I didn't even take the time to, to delve into um, previously. But interesting, this last point I'll make on this song, and in the background i was wondering why when i listened to this album as a kid i felt sort of melancholy or you know depressed i want to say that about 60 or 70 percent of the, the songs have minor chords in the chorus mm, which yeah, would sort of imply yeah i noticed that, too that feel. I was, well, yeah so i went through it on guitar and i thought oh that's why this you know makes me feel kind of sad or however you want to phrase it you know yeah, so that, mm-hmm. think about that as we're going through the songs good point yeah to me um yeah you know, it, it you know it's a, it's a good opening tune for the record you know i mean lyrically what does it really say you know it's not really like a strong lyric but
0: you know hey it's a good way to start off the record uh you know to show you know those those sides of what he was going for so i did a little bit of i want to say I, I did a little bit of research but the truth is i blindly stumbled onto something uh <laughs> when i, I was <laughs> watching the movie uh about the life of judy garland that renee zelliger did With my wife this past week, and she launches into this song, the lyrics of which are, uh, I'm gonna love you uh, like nobody's loved you, come rain or come shine. And I'm and I think, wait, wait, wait a minute, is this a cover of the you know, that is that song? And it's not, it's a totally different song called uh, Come Rain or Shine, but I have to think that that. That song was a big influence on the lyrics in this song because they are, you know, fairly identical. The first words of the song, come rain or come shine, are I'm going to love you. And, yeah. you know, Judy Garland was part of that whole big band Sinatra era uh, that that Peter always professes his love for. So I thought that was an interesting connection. Um, you know, when you look at the opening songs of... of the other KISS solo albums. I mean, Ace's song is so, so strong about having his heart ripped out of his chest. And then Paul's song about, you know, star-crossed romance, gone bad. And one last night with his lo- doomed lover. And even Gene's song about, you know, the dangerous sexual power of the sexually realized woman in the 1970s. I mean, these are all fairly dramatic statements. Whereas I'm going to love you rain come shine. It's like a greeting card, you know, I mean, (laughs) there's no dramatic tension in this song whatsoever. I mean, it's a nice sentiment, but I, I I don't know that it, it holds together as a song. And I would say the same thing about the song that follows. So before we get it, before we get into that, any, any final comments about I'm going to love you? I have one. Okay. Um,
2: because again, from reading, um, you know, it, during this time, I think this was around the time when Peter um, and his wife Lydia were not really getting along and not, things weren't really working out. And I think, uh, Peter was uh, pursuing his, was going to be a second wife, uh, Deborah. Um, and I remember reading stories too, where I think, you know, Peter was out here in LA recording some overdubs at sunset sound was staying at um some some mansion somewhere. And nonetheless, I guess Lydia came out late in the process just to see how things were going. And from what I read, Peter was out with Deborah buying bracelets and, you know, all kinds of gifts, you know, for the for the new girl. And I guess, you know, he wasn't you know, the sharpest, you know, knife in the drawer and he was leaving the receipts and in, in garbage cans. She went through garbage cans and found a ton of, you know, evidence of him buying stuff that wasn't coming to her. Ah. Um so <laughs> I think maybe from this perspective, does he see he's sort of professing his love for you know his new interest? I don't know, but you know there are other songs on this record too that I think are you know from the perspective of somebody who's in a relationship that's falling apart as well.
3: Okay,
0: that's okay. that's valid. Uh, um, does it bother anybody that he pronounces the word "gunna" two different ways in the middle of the song? Yeah, <laughs> when he goes, I'm gonna love. <laughs> Oh, wow. i didn't pick up on that all right yeah
1: i'm just impressed that his voice doesn't sound like garbage i mean i was expecting it you know what yeah. i mean like i i'm actually his his vocals are strong i'm not gonna lie but he, he has a really, really
0: interesting it. voice actually i mean just the the timbre of it is you know it's mm-hmm. kind of it's it's like sandpaper kind of like a cat's tongue i mean you know. yeah. yeah 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 okay all
1: right like a cat's tongue
0: <laughs> yeah Like he's the cat man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Ah, that is right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moving on. You matter to me.
1: Okay. So my first comment is my, uh, my wife said, what album are you doing now? And I said, we're doing Peter Chris's solo album. And she said, how's that? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, (laughs) it's kind of different here. Let me play you something. So I played her like two sec. I'm, I'm, you know, clean in the bathroom. I play it for her. And she's like, Ooh, wow. <laughs> Seven years. And then she goes, the chorus is you matter to me. And I was like, yeah, the chorus is you matter to me. And, she, and, and she's like, that, that's all he got. So it sounds like this is the outro soundtrack that plays over the credits during a 1970 sitcom called mm. you matter to me. And that's where this came from. Yeah, I'll buy because, that. Because, I mean, I actually kind of dig the synth, and it's definitely like a time capsule, but it literally sounds like the end credit music to some 70s, you know, you know, that uh, 70s sitcom that has lot lots of, like, tonight on a serious episode of You Matter to Me. Right, right. Three's company,
0: two. Right, exactly, yeah.
1: So, I mean... Uh, sky crying, endless tears. You met, I mean, it just, uh, I don't know. I like it. It's like a time capsule. And I like that. It's such an odd song, but it, again, it didn't really, you know, it's not necessarily what I'm looking for. It's interesting that you bring up the fact that he wanted sort of r and B producer on this album. Yeah. Um, but then the people that he, that the R and B producer worked with, like made some pretty, amazing stuff like there should be a do you think i'm sexy or a you know something on this album that's going to stand out um yeah but nothing stands out you know that's the problem there's no there's no moment where i'm like yeah okay this is all kind of run-of-the-mill uh r&b and oh here's respect or here's you know uh under the boardwalk or here's you know what i mean there's something that, like it doesn't stand nothing grabs me you know what i mean it just sounds like yeah. he is aping other people's styles over and over again and not bringing his own interpretation, like not being smart about it, just saying, I want to write a song that sounds like this. And then he writes a song that sounds like this. Sorry. OK, so that's just my opinion. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not terrible. That weird synth sound is, you know, I kind of actually after the third listen was kind of like, ah, it's kind of cool, but I don't know. All right. So guy, yeah, what do you think, Mike? I'm sure you got something good to say. <laughs>
2: Uh, sure, I, I agree. Definitely, time capsule. That synth is very I mean, of the period. And I, I, when you mentioned, you know, sort of like a you know a, a rolling credits, you know, a soundtrack, I thought of, you know, I thought, have I heard this song in an episode of Chips or something? You know? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. The music sounds a special to me.
1: musical guest on Chips tonight.
2: Right. Chris. Yeah. And now comes yeah exactly. You know, yeah. is Jimmy Tyler, and, and there you have it. Yeah. Um, but in addition to with all these keyboards, I remember you know, on later records, I believe there's keyboards. There's keyboards for sure on. Um, unmasked and i believe there's a few keyboards on dynasty i remember as a kid listening to those records and hearing keyboards and thinking well, wait a minute that's not right there's four guys in the band you know why is there a keyboard player in the band who's playing keyboards?" to me it was like a major shift i was affected by that i thought whoa what's going on with my favorite band here so but funny in this case because it's a solo record i accepted the fact that it's different players and there's there's keywords and that's okay or a sense or whatever to call it um there is no, no better also, rabbit hole to go down than the metal or keyboards and metal
1: rabbit hole. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt I, you. Right, Yeah. And, yeah but yeah. of course,
0: yeah. the connection would be that Vinnie Ponzi is the producer of the album, and then went on to produce Dynasty and Unmasked. And yeah, there's definitely keyboards on. At least I was made for loving you for sure.
3: Yeah, uh,
2: for yeah, for sure. Um, and the, the drums are kind of disco-y too, you know. Uh, but again, this is Pierre, you know, playing on on this track as well, doing drums. Um, The last point I'll make about this song is and the, the minor chords. Uh, there's a ton of them in this one because you got the... And then you got my favorite chords, which are the... Which, again, Dave, you and I use that passing chord in uh, the calling uh, for for the, the Dame Fortune song. So to me, one of the things that that have made me appreciate this record more, and it's becoming my favorite record to listen to right now, is because you know, songwriting is all about... Melody and it's all about chord structure and a lot of these odd little passing chords I call keyboard chords. They're not normal chords that you know an average rock guitar player is going to pick up on and play. And I found a ton of them on this record, and it's sort of rejuvenating my creativity and the way I approach guitar. And um, I'm I'm very happy th- for the fact that I've listened to this record now for about you know ten times this week and I've learned so much about it.
1: Cool. Yeah, you I you mean... got through ten times.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs>
1: ten. I got through four. <laughs>
3: I uh, In a car, vinyl.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's there's an interesting kind of chromatic melody happening in, in those chord changes there that, that you wouldn't expect to hear on the typical average rock record, for sure.
3: Yeah.
1: Right, and again, like you're saying, Dave, we can't argue. I mean, I know that I'm being sort of contrarian, but yeah, you. it's not what we're trying to... It's not a sound that we expected from KISS, so it definitely... But as someone who's listened to a lot of, you know, R&B and that kind of stuff as well, it just doesn't even measure up to that. I mean, there's – you you yeah. know Billy Price from Pittsburgh, right, um, oh, Mike? No. So yeah. Billy Price, you know, why couldn't they just hire Billy Price? You know what I mean? And have Peter Chris play drums behind Billy, Billy Price, you know, because it would have been better. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah, – I don't know. That's,
2: that's a great point too because I've always thought that Billy Price kind of sounded – has a voice similar to Peter Chris's in a way too, and Billy Price, right? Worked, exactly, worked,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. And I think Billy worked with Roy Buchanan in the early days too, right? He was the, the singer on some of his records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't even put
1: that together. So, so Dave,
2: you got yeah, a live Billy,
1: record? Yeah. Do you know who Billy Price? Is he's like this singer and you know rhythm and blues singer here in Pittsburgh? It was like huge. I like don't. nothing will destroy your okay. Nothing will destroy your love of music than growing up in Pittsburgh because there's so many. So many white boy bands playing black music. But the one guy that transcended that was a guy yeah. named Billy Price, okay. who actually really kicked ass doing it. He yeah. did a really great job of playing, of doing essentially rhythm and blues as a white guy, you know, and like really rocked. And I, when I was a kid, my dad was a big fan of him, brought home a record by Billy Price and put it on. And I remember saying I was like 10 or something. I said, like, Dad, that sounds like used rock and roll. Okay, and that was so, and that's what this album sounds like. It's used rock and roll with a sort of '70s vibe to it. So again, like I'm saying, if you're going to do this, you know, if you're going to ape rhythm and blues, at least bring something to the table, and especially if you're Peter Chris. But that's you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I just feel like yeah. why couldn't he have just like found someone to really write his stuff or done a whole cover album, you know, of like better stuff than this stuff that he's written? But
2: I don't know. All right, carry on. Sorry. Uh, one one quick one quick follow up on John's thing. Uh, if you want to look up, you Dave, you probably heard the song uh, "Slipped, Tripped, and Fell in Love" on DVE uh, when we were kids. So okay. that's the song to, to pick up. on and also, uh, Billy had a guitar player by the name of Glenn Pavone, uh, who was a fantastic blues guitar player. So yeah, there was you know a ton of those bands that we grew up with, you know, so to speak. Um, and it would have been interesting to Neville see Island, if those types yeah. of players would have been on this record. But you know, either way, yeah, it, it I agree, John. It's like it's it should be R and B, but it doesn't really sell that way. It doesn't come across that way. I mean, I think it's a personally it's an album that's very personal to Peter and I think he put his heart into it and it sounds like he's having fun and he's being creative, but I don't think it comes across in the serious way that he wanted it to, you know, and that's because of the production and maybe the fact that, yes, some of the courses have hooks, but are the hooks that strong? I, other than just repeating you know the same thing over and over again, you know,
0: debatable. Right. Glenn Pavone, not to be confused with our friend Glenn Pavon, who is the bass player for the band KCDC. Okay. Um, Yes. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Tossing and turning.
1: It's got a kiss-like riff at the beginning. I guess it's a cover. I did. Okay, I'm sorry. I did do some research. It's a cover from a 50s song or whatever, correct? Uh, Early Uh, 60s, yeah, by
0: Bobby Lewis.
1: All right. Because I thought it was stupid when I first heard it. I was like, this is absolutely terrible. Like, why are you even wasting these words? And then I'm like, okay, so this comes from the beginning of early rock and roll. It's it's perfectly acceptable, you know, to uh, write these lyrics. I kind of actually like the line, I, I hear the milkman outside. And in fact, I think that's one of the most original lines on the entire album. And then I realized it's a cover song. Um the chorus is nice and big. You know what I mean. It's got lots of sound, or you know, a lot of oomph behind it. Uh, background singers and everything. And the and the riff actually at the beginning sounds like a kiss riff. Like that's the first thing that grabbed me. It's
0: it's funny you mentioned that that lyric. We'll get back to that.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I when it, when you listen to this song, is it me or does the guitar come in ahead of the beat? Mm. Or is it just because that you know there's that snare that. drum on, on the downbeat and the guitars on, on the upbeat before? I don't know. It's it when you listen to it, definitely the guitar it's it seems like it's early, but you know, I'm not criticizing, I'm just pointing it out. Um but definitely it, it it sounds like KISS in a lot of ways, uh particularly too because in the chorus you have those um
3: <coughs>
2: those like you know wrists that are in songs like Got to Choose, you know. But then again, you know, if Kiss didn't create those risks. Were those risks lifted from, you know, this song? Who knows? Um, But I I agree. It's, it it comes across kind of in in a silly way. And I think, you know, I mean, when you look at footage of them playing this song on the Kiss dynasty tour, it doesn't really come across in a convincing way either. I mean, it's, it's a train wreck and they're barely hanging on. And you know, it's funny. It's a three chord song, but you know, for Kiss to try to execute that in a live situation, they're probably just thinking, man, I can't wait to get this over with. You know, uh, but you know, again, hey, you know it's. I guess it's it's back to Peter's roots, and this is what he wanted to do. And you know, is it the strongest song on the record? No, but you know there are others that are that are, that are more interesting. We'll get to those later.
0: Well, okay, I, I'll say it was done originally by Bobby Lewis. Um, it was a huge hit when it came out in the early '60s. It sold like three million copies. Uh, he didn't write it. It was written by some other guys that were on his label um Richie Adams and um another guy but uh Bobby Lewis is kind of an interesting guy um he was he ran away from an orphanage at age 14 and joined a traveling carnival and uh you know then eventually became a singer and fronting his own band um one of the studio musicians that worked on this said that they thought that this version of, of the song was actually better than the original. And, you know, I A-B'd them. And I, I got to say, I kind of agree, because if you listen to the original, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, it's very high energy, but it's it's almost kind of garage band-like in terms of the, the, you know, the instruments playing together and stuff. And this is like much more kind of solid professional, uh, interpretation of the song. Um, John, it's funny that you mentioned the thing about, uh, the lyric change because, or the lyric about the the milkman, because that's the one lyric that Peter Chris changed in the song. Um, mm-hmm. it used to be, uh, I heard the clock striking four. I heard, you know, um, mm-hmm. couldn't get you off my mind. Um, I heard the milkman at the door. And he changed it to uh, I heard the clock striking three. Couldn't get you off my mind. Um I heard the milkman down the street, which obviously must have been a very loud milkman, but um
3: <laughs>
0: the, the reason why he did this is because three is Peter Chris's favorite number right he has the number three on his back and there's all kinds of reasons for it being his favorite lucky number he was the third guy to join kiss he was raised as roman catholic so you have three being a very powerful Mm -hmm. symbolic number in roman catholicism the father the son the holy Mm -hmm. ghost um you know it's funny to me though that that is really the only reference to peter chris's personality as and as the cat man on this entire album Whereas, you know, Paul definitely plays up the star-crossed romantic lover image, and Ace plays up the spaced out, you know, guy out in the ozone, and, and, and Gene plays up the vampiric aspect of his persona, you'd think at some point on this album there'd be at least a throwaway line. You know about this cat's gonna bite. I don't know something that actually uh, has to do with <laughs> his persona, and they're really. Where you know... were
1: you in '78?
0: Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. So producer, but... producer. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, as it is, I kind of like the song, maybe because I'm a lifelong insomniac. Uh, I can relate to it. I mean, constantly anxious. Yeah, yeah. Right. I hear you. All right. <laughs> Don't You Let Me Down. Uh, My
1: notes say, like, sounds like Recycled Temptations, way mellow. Literally what I wrote. That's all I got. I mean, don't you let me down. There should be a dance to it and something like that. But again, I don't, I mean, it could be there. Like, he's got the right pieces. It just doesn't stand out. It doesn't, you know, there's nothing in it that says, like, wow,
0: you know. It's real um, low energy. I mean, yeah. there's laid yeah. back and then there's, like, <laughs> is the patient still alive? You know, Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, what do you got, Mike? You got anything uh, for us? You
2: know, other than the fact that, yes, this is just another one of those uh, Peter and Penridge songs from, you know, 71, probably. Um, again, a lot of minor chords in the song. Again, the melancholy, you know, feeling. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I, when I listen to this song, I think, well, why isn't this on, you know, the, the movie, uh, the Grease, uh, soundtrack, you <laughs> know, for that could be, like kids at a, at a high school dance. Because those songs dances,
0: are good. You know? Right. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they have some energy to them. I mean, you know. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You got the Bee Gees writing you in the main theme song. I mean, come on, you know. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. This one. Yeah. I mean, the, the most interesting thing about this song are the chord changes, which, you know, I'm very happy to say that I know how to play now. And I've, you know, mm-hmm. I'll probably use some of this stuff later on uh, in, in my writing. So. Thanks, Pete. You know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I got nothing uh, else. <laughs> yeah, okay.
3: <laughs> Living on. it on!
0: Um, okay, that's the kind of sugar that Papa likes. You know, this is the first song that I really think on the album that I think, oh, actually, this is a good song. You know, this has some energy. This, yes. It has some kick to it. It's catchy. It's aggressive enough that I think it kind of um, it sort of joins the chasm between the roots of the of old time rock and roll and something that maybe modern Kiss fans could relate to. Um, and I think Steve is it Steve Lukather that's uh, plays on this.
2: Yeah, he's he's playing a killing solo, going backwards or back from you know a minor pentatonic licks to major pentatonic licks to yeah. Jill Walsh type licks. It's great. I, I love mean, it.
0: The guitar solo really elevates the track. And it's, I mean, you know, Peter's singing his balls off. He's got a lot of energy, um, you know, as a kid listening to a song about, you know, uh, that's the kind of sugar Papa likes. Like, I had no idea what the hell they, <laughs> they they were talking about. But, you know, then you come out to L.A. and, you know, you meet some strippers and porn stars and all too soon you find out. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not all about love and chocolate bars, you know, so. Yeah. Right. right.
2: Uh,
1: Papa got the diabetes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All
1: right, so I said, okay, it sounds like early psych rock, and again, this is one of the this is one of the ones that I noticed the shift to the minor chords in it that I thought was actually yeah. pretty cool. Um, I actually, this is, I mean, if I have a favorite song on this album, this is it. Um, it's got a, you know, it's got that cool little um, almost like B three keyboard in it, right? Is that the one? Yeah. Um, so it actually kind of works for me. I
0: kind of dig it. And actually the line too, uh, you should have told me I'm not the only man to love you twice. That's a cool yeah, yeah. line. That's a yeah, cool line. Yeah, that is a good line.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but the question yeah. though,
2: um, on the lyrics though, is, is he saying, you know, that's the kind of sugar? Or is he saying you're the kind of sugar Papa likes? I couldn't really make that out on, on CD or vinyl.
0: I'd have to go back and listen to that. It's funny too because that's also a thing in "You Matter to Me." It's it's ninety percent of the time in that song he's saying "You still matter to me," and then at the yeah. end he says "You matter to me," which is why did they not call mm. it "You still matter to me"? Because oh well, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And you know, chorus structure too. That we
2: said there's minor chords in this one, but there's also like that sort of flat fifth thing we got in the chorus. <laughs> You know, it's. it's kind of, I remember listening to this song as a kid and kind of being afraid of it, just because, you know, the keyboard sounded kind of spooky and haunt, haunting, and the chord changes were a little, you know, off-putting. Um, you know, you got that bit, you know, but then again, as, as, an, as a guitar player, you got to appreciate all those licks that Steve's doing.
3: You
2: know, that stuff is just killer. So sorry about the phone here ringing. Um, oh, that's right. That. Um, yeah, but really, yeah, just probably one of the catchiest songs on the record um i think they probably should have tried to play this on the dynasty tour over you matter to me but you know i'm not in the band so
0: yeah go. this one or or maybe well we'll get to the other one but um and, and, sorry one other
2: point too because this is peter playing drums uh, drums on this one for sure it's got that great peter shuffle uh, yeah. just like he does in hundred thousand years and he's there's just drummers that there's a handful of rock drummers that are out there that, that sound like that you've got him you've got you know charlie watts i mean that to me is a different style of drumming from again same influences you know guy like eric carr or eric singer you know the guys came in later with kiss but you know the feel is so different but then it's so unique to peter and this is a great example of that
0: yeah would have been a good song to kick off the album maybe (laughs) yeah
3: yeah right (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah true
1: what's next here easy thing
2: yeah oh wait no i can't stop the rain no 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 easy thing oh you oh, know what i'm sorry oh you know what oh discrepancy discrepancy alert here we go um i had the insert from the vinyl okay um and it lists the songs in a different order it lists side two's beginning with i can't stop the rain i'll be darned
0: well that's weird yeah
2: hmm. all right let's call uh rock steady and get get some answers on this you know somebody's gonna be held to the fire on that one they
0: they were doing a lot of drugs then yeah all right thanks for keeping on track guys (laughs) okay easy thing
1: i got nothing man it's just an easy thing super ballad love is so hard acoustic i like the acoustic guitar and strings but i mean again this sounds like another song that somebody else wrote and then peter chris took all of the good stuff out of it and then made it this and I'm, I'm so I'm not trying to be mean, but it just it seems like he didn't spend a lot of time like making these songs his own or even making them sort of stand out at all. You know what I mean? Like I just I mean, it's it's a pretty song, but it just I don't know. Love is so hard. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: it, you know, it, it it's so slow and it's so drawn out and it's so repetitive. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it had the potential to be a really good song. Um, Cause the melody is actually nice. You know, there's a certain point in the melody where the hairs kind of stand up on the back of your neck and, and the chord changes are nice. And, and I think if it had just been a little less redundant and repetitive, and just moved along a little bit more with a little more energy, it could have, could have been a good, really good song.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because from a songwriting perspective, the chord changes are, are amazing. It's like very uh, McCartney-like. You got those... And the beautiful chords, but in a way, I mean, is he just trying to, you know? Uh, duplicate what he did with, with uh, the song "Bath on Destroyer." I mean, you know, uh, it, yeah, it just
1: right. He's it trying does, to write another ballad hit because that's what people expect from him. But he just, but then he has this R and B thing, and he's all over the place, and he doesn't pick a tone. And I mean, the, the English teacher in me is out of my mind. Like it just, it like he should have picked a tone or something. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm gonna write like an album of ballads or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I just wish there was more guts to it. You know what I mean? Like it stayed, i like, I'm going to make an R, a white boy R&B album that's going to kick everybody's butt and everybody in Kiss. I'm going to be able to go solo as soon as I want to because I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to have all these new fans and you know stuff like that. And I feel like he, you know what I mean? Yeah. Could have done more.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll just make a quick point lyrically, uh, at least, you know, let's say with the lyrical theme, you know, With Kiss songs, there's always that, you know, feeling of, you know, self-belief and self-worth and confidence. You know, it doesn't help me have a song that is just this slow and laid back on the record. And there's no real uplift with the vocal or the lyric, I should say. You know, it's kind of like, you know, love is so hard to find. You know, love is such an easy thing to lose. Well, that's, you know, I mean, if you break out any, you know, 1970s uh, Bread album, you know, Bread (laughs) has already done this. They they've got it covered. We don't need another yes. One. That's the band.
1: Thank you. Holy crap, yeah. dude! I couldn't. of yeah. it.
2: Anything yes. by Brad David
0: Gates, he's done it. You know. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I I will say lyrically, the you know the there's a little bit of clever misdirection. Love is so easy. Love is such an easy thing. And then to lose, you know, ah, okay. you know, um, you know, that's that's enough of a hook. I think if the song had been arranged differently, as as we talked about. It, it could have been something.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it looked at the, the work that went into this I and mean, you've got, um, I think Elliot Randall from Steely Dan doing guitars in this, uh, the second guitar, the other guitar player that was in stars is doing guitars. And then Bill Cuomo, who's, uh, doing a lot of keywords on this record. I guess he also arranged the strings. And, uh, for those of us that are journey fans, Bill, uh, later co-wrote the song. Oh, Sherry, uh, on the Steve Perry solo album, street talk in 85, whatever year the record came out. Um, yeah, you know, but just interesting points behind it. But yeah, it's really not yeah. I mean, I agree, Dave. Definitely the hook, I like the way that builds. I didn't think of it that way, uh, with the chorus lyric, but um that's a good way to look at it. So good good perspective. <laughs>
1: and if you don't like Ocea, you have no soul.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Steve, hey, the man, yeah. I'm
3: married, Shares. I love that I love that that's
1: song. Good. I'm not even a big <laughs> journey fan. <laughs> That song famous. is like one of those songs I was embarrassed to like. Like, I was like, I hope none of my friends know I like this song. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, no. If it's, I
2: could sing like great. Steve Perry, I'd sing, you know, the, the phone book and walking down the street. And it's, you know, right, exactly. Always, <laughs> yeah. anyhow. But he's not in this record, so I'll talk about it. Right. Okay.
0: Rock Me Baby.
1: I got nothing. I literally, <laughs> my notes say soul music. And then
0: a down
1: arrow. <laughs> That's it.
0: <laughs> My, this is the song that, like, they play at the company Christmas party <laughs> right. with, with the band, yeah. you know, and, like, the, the boss of the company gets up, and he's drunk, <laughs> and he sings along, like, out of time and out of tune. I mean, it's right. it's mm-hmm. just so generic, and it's so boring, and I just – there's really nothing to – to hold on to here. I mean, it's the kind of thing that's been done a million times better and been done a million times by so many Mm. other artists that like, I I don't know. It, it, it just feels like filler.
2: Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a lot of work went into this song. I mean, there's, you got the horn section there, which reminds me of some of the stone songs, like uh, all down the line and Brown sugar. Um, uh, Again, it, it, we we talk about the minor chords in this record. You know, again, this is probably one of the more you know you know upbeat songs in the record. Uh, but at the same time, too, in the chorus, which the chorus should lift up, it's got to you know the second chord is a minor chord. You could. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, that that's just kind of bugging me now. Like, am I going to write songs that have that? You know, that have a chorus where there's a minor chord? Now, probably not. We'll see. Um, it, it can but,
0: suck the energy out of the song. It really can.
2: There's a there's a time and a place for it. I personally think that's in um, like a pre-chorus or a bridge. But you know that's my perspective on sorry right. I'm giving away secrets here. But um, uh, also too, this is a Sean Delaney uh, uh, song. Uh, there's no other uh, co-writers on this one. So is this one of the demos that you know Sean gave, you know, or contributed that you know that was used? Um, maybe, maybe. But yeah, but this is again. It's, I'd point that out, too, because you know, there are certain songs on here that I think are written uh, without Peter's input, and I think this might be either one, if not the only one, other than the cover tune, um, "Tossin' and Turner, that Peter didn't have involvement in, okay, writing-wise.
0: Right. All right. Kiss the girl goodbye.
1: My notes say. <laughs> Acoustic, super ballad sound. Like, 60s singer-songwriter pop, Like, Partridge Family. Nice voice. Strong voice. So apparently, again, a very super duper pretty song. I pictured this on a Partridge Family album, or a Brady Bunch album, uh, meaning there was not a lot being said uh, in it. You know what I mean? And so it would work as sort of like a, you know, like, generic song written for television personalities that weren't really doing anything that amazing. But then I actually started to think about Partridge family records and realized that they actually have a lot of cool little hooks and interesting song lyrics, um, that actually put this song to shame. So now I feel, Uh you know what I mean? I feel like I've disrespected the Partridge family, but again, I'm impressed by his voice, by Peter's voice. Like he really did do a great job on this singing I just wish he was singing something kind of interesting.
0: They have a lot of reverb on his voice in this yeah, one, which is interesting because they don't usually do that. And it kind of smooths his voice out a little bit. It almost makes him sound mm-hmm. like a different singer.
2: Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh again, you know, I know Johnny mentioned Partridge him I didn't I didn't pick up on that, but I'm gonna look into that because now I'm curious. Um I'm always familiar with what I might have seen on TV i uh, will look into that uh, their material, but um, so I, I the my corner band I love. Like, wow. I, mean,
3: I
1: think I love you, an Umbrella Man. I mean, they actually had obviously they didn't write their own stuff. They had Tin Pan Alley guys or whatever writing it, but still, I mean, it's it was good stuff. I mean, you know, you look at the Monkees. I mean, those were great songs. You look at Parker Family; yeah. I mean, those are pretty good songs. Even the stuff that was written for the Brady Bunch was actually pretty decent, clever songs. Sugar Sugar by the Archies is a pretty yeah. clever song. You know what I mean? It's not, it's, you know, it's not the greatest song in the world. And so that that's what this song made me think of, is all of those kind of songs. And I was thinking to myself, but this doesn't rise to even that. It, it's not clever enough. You know, it doesn't grab my attention. Again, I feel bad for saying all this terrible stuff about it, but um, like, I, it's a very pretty song, but there's nothing sort of clever about it to pull me into it
2: yeah i i you know the core changes to me are interesting that's my takeaway from this you know I'm, i've now discovered the fact that i guess i do like core changes that would be on again a bread album you know which again this sounds like bread you know warmed over haha um but you know the, the lyric delivery i mean what's going on here i mean is this part of his you know breakup with lydia debatable you know again if this is a stan Pedridge uh, peter chris tune from early on, then you know maybe it was about somebody else's relationship. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, this one I, I lose interest in. Yeah, uh, about halfway through, I'm like, okay, you know, next track. Um, you know, a lot, again, a lot went into it. I'm sure he's you know very proud proud of his work as he should be, but I it I just it doesn't hold interest for me.
0: Yeah, I I do think it is kind of Beatlesque the way that they have the hook in the song title, which is also the opening line of the song you know yeah. kiss the girl goodbye that's a very beatlesque thing to do although john's probably right it's probably more like beatles via the monkeys trying to sound like the beatles i mean i could see davy jones singing this song you know it's very close to like i'll be true to you or something like that from the monkeys um it uh it's interesting when they get to the chorus that the chorus is actually a variation on that hook where you've got these background vocals coming in and then peter singing on top of that you know it's a a little bit of a different uh change almost in the song structure than simply verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus out which is what most of these songs are Um, so i I think the most interesting thing about this song is that on the album when they list the title they put kiss in the Mm -hmm. logo of the Kiss band, right? It's K I S S is the Kiss logo, The Girl Goodbye. And I don't know why they did that especially, but uh <laughs> I, I guess it's a bad sign of the most interesting thing about a song is how it's written. If you <laughs> There it is. <laughs> you know what?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So
3: Okay. And how
2: do you get you know a, a KISS logo that small, man? That's a seriously small font size to you know, get that logo in there. Somehow they did
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we come to one of my two favorite songs on the album. Hooked on Rock and Roll. Um. John?
1: Yeah, I like this one actually as well. I uh, sort of a blues rock self-autobiographical. Again, it, it's at least the song seems to be about himself or even if it's not, it has sort of a feel like that. It, it tells a story. Um, it talks about, you know, like dragging your drums up, a bit, you know, in the, in the early morning up, up steps, you know what I mean? And right. Which, which has, a, uh, that, you,
0: know, you, you know, anybody who's ever it. been in a band knows the drummer yeah. has the most equipment to haul and lug and it's a huge pain in the ass. And
1: right. The yeah drummers never get the girls because they're too busy packing up all the time
0: right I mean, that's
1: literally what it is and the bass player always gets the girl first because it takes them three seconds to <laughs> unplug and throw their bass in their case um, but the the drummer all you know what I mean always did so I, I like that it sort of reminded me of being in a band so I like
2: the song that way. Yeah, good points uh, for sure. I, I think definitely this is one of my favorite songs on the record too. Um, and again, it, you know, we're all Pittsburgh guys and there, there are tons of bands that we grew up with that, uh, had the same sort of, you know, feel and, you know, I could easily see this song being on a Norman Nardini record or, you know, a Diamond Real mm-hmm. record. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's catching up, you know, I just have one, my only, I don't beef, but with the lyrics, I mean, he starts out sort of, you know, talking about, you know, the boy could play before he learned to crawl. And then he comes back around to say, I was vaccinated by Victor O'Neill. Like, Dave you're the big lyric guy. Wouldn't you write a song in that way, you know, lyrically and would you change anything about it? Uh,
0: you know, yeah, it's weird that it changes perspective from the third person to the first person. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, you know, that Peter Chris is kind of talking about himself. You know, I, I think there's John hit on a, a great point about the whole thing about in the morning, you know, just before dawn, you could see him dragging home his drums. I mean, hmm. that kind of detail, you know, has a truth about it that makes this song feel real. And even
1: right. This is the only real song in the album, it feels like.
0: Yeah. yeah and, I agree. you know, worked in a band that had no name at all. I mean, you know, that's there was a time in the 70s when if you wanted to be a rock and roller and a rock musician, you could eke out like a modest lower middle class living just playing live and, you know, going from gig to gig and, and, you know, bands that didn't have names and, you know, weren't ever going to go anywhere. But, you know, there was that that need for live entertainment. And and so I think, you know, there's a great tension here. The the line I was vaccinated with a victor, a needle doesn't really make any sense, but it's, it, it sh- yeah. it's a great line. It sounds cool, man. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, mama told me, mama knows there ain't no future in that rock and roll. I said, Hey mama, it's burning <laughs> hot inside my soul. You know, I mean, that's, that's great because even, even then, you know, at the height of, uh, you know, live rock and roll, there was still this, this thing that it was looked down upon and it was, you know, that tension mm-hmm. between the generations and, I find myself singing this song out of the blue, uh, you know, from time to time. It's catchy. It's, it's yeah. you know, it just, uh, I I wish that, that they had chose to play this on the Dynasty mm. Tour, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because it seems like, you know, when they have Eric Singer singing All for the Glory or All for uh. the Love of Rock and Roll, those songs are just a tiny stone's throw away from Hooked on Rock and Roll.
2: Mm-hmm. A, yeah, thanks for bringing up those lyrics Dave, too, because uh, that whole thing about where it's like, hey, mama, it's burning in my soul. I mean, I could hear Paul Stanley singing that lyric or that melody. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got the same kind of you know cadence that, that Paul would use to deliver it. Um, funny, too, about the lyrics and, you know, vaccinations and needles. I've got a lifelong fear of needles. I can't give <laughs> blood without passing out. So I didn't like this song as a kid for that reason. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love it now. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this too, we mentioned Paul Stanley. I mean, I you know, I try to think of a point of reference uh, when I'm listening to these records and, and try to come up with an opinion. You know, having seen Soul Station, and Dave, you and I have seen Soul Station live, um, I would, you know, I would take this over Soul Station any day at this point, you know? Yeah, Not to compare well, Apple's but, you know, particularly this song, you know, I think this, this, this would work. I mean, in a live situation, this would definitely work. But overall, if, if Peter's going to do the R&B thing, I think, I don't know. I mean, a, a drummer's got a. You know, it makes sense to me that a drummer would you know, do a, a better version of R&B, um, you know, than a guitar player in a way. I don't know. I, there's just something about it. rhythm, you know, and that kind of stuff. You know, but I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not criticizing Soul Station, but I think if I had to choose between the two, I know where I would go. Well,
1: yeah. particularly in rock and roll, especially if you play hard rock, one of the things about R&B, the guitar playing in R&B, is that it's actually fairly reserved. Yeah. It's not even. It's more of a rhythm instrument than it is like the thing that drives the song.
2: So, yeah. You know, accents. I
1: mean, you know. Yeah. Exactly. So I could totally see why if you're playing in a hard rock band, you would not want to become. I mean, obviously the one that transcended that is Prince, but even yeah. Prince's stuff is if you really listen to his stuff, he plays that nice reserve, holds it back. You know what I mean? Nothing serious. Yeah. And then he, and then it's the solos where he tears it up. You know what I mean? But yeah. You're, you're that, lucky if very simple about it and he's the one that can kind of get away with it that can bridge the gap between hard rock and r&b but yeah so good point peter chris would be the one to do the r&b album
0: yeah it's interesting you bring up soul station i actually walked out on that concert uh and it takes (laughs) it takes a lot for me to walk out on a concert featuring paul stanley um I'm actually looking forward to the, the recording of, of Soul Station because I understand he's actually written a few original songs as well as covers. And, great. you know, anytime he writes an original song, I'm excited to hear it uh, in whatever style yeah. it's in. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah Soul Station, I, I want to think that he was just not having a great night and that yeah. at least on the recording that it's gonna it's gonna be strong and it's gonna be worthwhile and i'm gonna love it and i i hold out hope that that's the case but yeah what what we saw i know you get you stuck around and and you, yeah I, I was i was bound and determined to, to, to
2: see that thing that thing improve and you didn't miss anything so
0: i don't know what it, what is soul station
1: i'm guessing it's a uh, cover thing that paul stanley does or something yeah but... it's a
0: side project uh that paul stanley does where they're doing kind of uh 1950s 60s motown um, philly um sound kind of early rock and roll and rhythm and blues and uh he's got a great That's band so dreadful oh my god <laughs> i'm
1: sorry i can't believe that that sounds terrible yeah but, i mean i get i understand i mean you got to push that money button i guess but
0: I don't think he's doing it for the money. I don't think there's a big market for it. I think, you know, he's got like world-class top musicians from all kinds of bands playing in it. And, um, yeah, okay. you know, I, I think he's, he's just doing it cause he loves the music. I don't know that he's the right guy to do it, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm hoping that the, the what they release and the recordings are, are going to be a lot stronger than what we saw, which was, you know, very early on. And, uh, Maybe still a little rough up around the edges.
2: And it was supposed to be released on DVD, but I guess that's been shelved or on hold.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, anyway. point of reference. That's the only reason I brought it up. So. Sure. No, that's. I mean, it's relevant to this album for sure. So, okay, final song. I Can't Stop the Rain
1: okay this is actually if you look at your stats on itunes at least from what i could gather this is the most grabbed song or listened to song on the album Hmm. which i don't know if that's saying anything but it seems to be the hit uh it's but my notes are just another ballad i kind of liked i like the intro where he's you know what he's like his voice is saying something about new york or something i mean it's
0: yeah, but he again, kind of says it's New York, and he kind of chuckles to himself. Right. Yeah, yeah, I kind
1: of actually dug that, but it it gets a little tiresome after a while.
0: Especially as the
1: last song, like the last song should be like a finisher And this sort of. But again, I feel like I'm missing something because this is the most listened to song on the album. So I don't, is there
0: something I'm missing? Well, I love this song. I think it's like oh, a, yeah? Okay. yeah, I think it's a really beautiful, haunting, cinematic ballad you know, I think it's a worthy successor to Beth and Hard Luck Woman um, in a way that the other ballads on this album are not. Uh, You know, Mm. I, I think it has like a really poignant, bittersweet quality to it. Like I can see Peter Chris in New York in the middle of a rainstorm, you know, coming in from the rain and knocking on the apartment door of some woman that he has bittersweet feelings to and kind of thinking like oh you know should i should i go there one more time and then you know the lightning flashes across the sky and you know there's some great lines in here you know then a cold wind came a calling strange how it knew me by my name you know that's good stuff yeah so I, apparently that, that's I a great lyric
1: the service then because it actually sounds pretty good what i'm my guess is I was probably so glad it was the last song. Right? <laughs> like,
0: <yeah>.
2: <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> actually a, a double
0: record. <laughs> it's a good song.
1: <laughs> it really okay, is. Okay, I'll give it another listen
2: then. Yeah, Mike. Well, funny, funny the two you know, on on the you know last song thing. Um, I think the records. It, it's funny. I don't. It's, I shouldn't say it's funny. It's interesting. Records in the seventies, like these records and Van Halen records, you're lucky if you got thirty three minutes of music out of them. You know. But how yeah. could the record did this this short seem like it's that long in a way? you know, I don't know. Uh, but today's point about the lyrics, uh, this is a, a Sean Delaney uh, written song. so if you if you read the book uh, Hellbox, I mean, that guy had a serious a serious amount of you know relationships that were just you know complete train wrecks and loving and fighting, and you know, so he, look at it through that perspective, if you if you're familiar with the book, um, but then also too, this brings up the point there's supposedly a song that was written for this record that wasn't recorded, uh, a song called "Spotlights," right? That is that was later recorded for the Sean Delaney solo album a year or so later, which again has a lot of the same players uh, from the Peter record. Um, but I, I think this is you know there's a reason why this song is you know the most grabbed, if you will. I mean, it's really the, you know it, even though it's a a ballad or a slow song, it's the catchiest. It's it's the most interesting. Um, interesting too to me, because again, I love these chord changes at the beginning. It's very reminiscent of, uh, a Rolling Stone song uh, by the name of Memory Motel from Black and Blue, which is really like this sort of, you know, sappy ballad that I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, those chord changes at the beginning, it's, you know, it's all based around F. You know, you know, play it in a way that sounds better than the way I'm playing it, you know. I, those chord changes to me, I found so interesting. I can't wait to exploit that. But the last point I'll make about you know this song and the fact that it's you know the last song of the record, um, it also reminds me of the last song on the Eagles album Hotel California, which is a song called Wait, um, the Last Resort,
3: mm. which oh, is basically yeah,
2: yeah. about L.A. and it's the same approach, like you know the heavy synth strings and you know drama and you know it, it. It's an odd way to close a record. I wouldn't necessarily think of doing that. I think the record should close strong or upbeat, but you know. You know, if the avocado mafia is they called, you know, eagles, then if that that was their approach. So be it. But I think this is a similar approach um, in that case. But it also reminds me of Elton John, like the song hmm. Levon On." Okay. Uh, with all the sweeping strings in between, you know and how it builds up at the end. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it's the catchy song. I love the chord changes. That's something new that I discovered. I'm very excited about. Um, it, it's it's probably between this and "Hooked on Rock and Roll," "Sugar Pop," it likes those are the three strong ones on this record. I agree. Everything else, you know debatable
1: yeah agreed. although i i, I mean i completely dismiss this song so apparently i gotta go back and re-listen
0: yeah give it one more because it, it builds you know it builds to a yeah. really powerful place and there's great like violin arrangement and the whole the whole thing of you know yeah. it takes a witch to curse that goddamn sky um you know Wait, really wow i feel like yeah we really got some cool. cursing going on here who's yeah. cursing in my house <laughs> I failed this
1: podcast all right i'm sorry
0: no, it's good. It's good. And I, you know, those, are, those are exactly the same tracks that stuck out for me as being good. I think it's a bad sign when you put the two out of the three strongest tracks, though, as the last songs on the album. I mean, yeah, you know, like, whose idea was it to sequence the album like this?
2: Well, you kind of put yourself in a corner, you know? I mean, what do you do? You got to try to hold people's interest. If you, you know, pad it with a lot of, you know, B B-sides or B-tracks, then you got to get, you know— Got to throw him a bone, you know. Yeah. Throwing them in, but I guess. I don't know.
1: Ego or or fear? I mean, those we know that that hooked on rock and roll. That was mostly written by Peter, correct?
2: Can we assume Not
1: that? It, 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 yeah, Peter,
2: Stan, and, and Vinny. Okay. Okay.
1: So, so it's the three like... person writer. And then the la- and then the the rain, the last one. It, it, who wrote that? Is that all? That's Sean Delaney.
0: That? Yeah. That's
1: Definitely. all Sean Delaney. So. Yeah. It might be an ego issue where it's like, no, 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 this is the Sean Delaney song. I can't put this on here.
3: Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Or, or it's a good song, but I don't want to put it as like my lead up because it's not written by me. I don't know.
0: That might be it. I uh, could be. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Final thoughts about Peter Chris.
1: I feel bad that I skipped the last song. <laughs>
0: John cracked me up. That's great.
2: <laughs> and then, but I
1: feel I mean I'm um, I definitely again I like the I like that he tried it again. Like I said, I'm all these solo albums are sort of you know if Ace's is, is basically taking all of the hard rock edge from Kiss and distilling it down to one album, that's what he's doing. If Paul is writing, you know a KISS album, then he wrote a KISS album. If Gene is writing things that are literally hitting all over the place, but are actually several different types of KISS songs that we will see later in KISS, because I was recently listening, I, one of my weird, like, you know, randomizer on iTunes or whatever started giving me like late KISS, like Creatures of the Night and later than that on my playlist or whatever. And I was like, these are pretty interesting songs they oh, are a yeah. lot different than these earlier ones. So I would almost say that those are sort of Gene gives us an idea of where we're going. And uh, Peter tries to experiment and doesn't follow any formula, like literally tries to do something completely different. Um, and it can almost be argued is saying F new to the rest of the band. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Isn't he the one, isn't he like 10 years older than everybody in the band or something? He was the like,
0: oldest guy, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's five years
1: years older. And he was always kind of like, you know, the elder statesman of the band or whatever. And he's like, well, this is what works. And I've had these hits with Beth, and I'm going to go out there and show you guys that I know, you know, really what I'm doing. And and for the most part, he kind of failed. But again, I give him an A for trying, you know. It was a brave move. Get a a couple of years. I'm interested to sort of listen to his other solo albums, but I'm also... (laughs) Mm-hmm. I've mean, got limited time in my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll just I'll just say, yeah, real quickly, I mean, you know, he, he did uh Out of Control, right? That was his first yeah. Casablanca album after after this. And uh Let Me Rock You, he did, which was a foreign only release, and then he did The Cat, right, variations on that. Uh and then Chris. what's that? And then he had the the
2: band. Uh, well, you you said Chris. Okay, I was thinking, was it called Chris? Or was it called? Was it called the Cat?
0: Was the album called the Cat? Some, I don't know. Um, either way, yeah, yeah. And then he did One for All, which is the the final thing that he did. And I have to say that, uh, who uh, One for All makes this album look like Destroyer. I mean, it just it. You know, yeah, really? I I can I can usually even in stuff that's not very good, I can find something to hold on to and and you know find some positive side to but this that album actually every time i hear it makes me feel actively worse about life i mean yeah <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: like,
2: yeah they're cringe wow. cringe worthy moments when you hear some of the lyrics and stuff you kind of go oh god really you know yeah no, right. he, he, he
1: wasn't. I mean, you know, when someone impersonates you as being homeless or something, wasn't that the story? Wasn't somebody impersonating Peter Chris and he was
0: like, "No, I'm, I'm still alive. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not homeless. That did happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he lived in Jeff Weyer's, uh apartment building for a while, right? Or no, they that lived was in the- that was Stephen Adler. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah. He supposedly recorded some stuff with John, John 5, right? That was like a rock album. He was talking at one point that he was going to do a rock album. Yeah. And I've never heard that. I'd be curious to hear that.
1: Does he make enough money to live? I'm worried about it. <laughs> 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 do you need to drop off a dinner for him? His,
0: I think he's good. I think he's all right, you know. All right, good.
2: Yeah. yeah, I just watched a clip on YouTube of him at home and he was doing, he was like singing along to one of these songs and he sounded good. And, you know, the interior, if it was his house, looked like, you know, he's not hurting for money. So,
0: yeah, I, I, know, I, saw, I saw that seen, clip too. Was it Don't You Let Me right. Down or what song was yeah. that?
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, I think that was it. And he did sound good. He sounded just like the album. You yeah. know, he sounded in tune. I mean, he was doing it live, obviously, but it was, you know, like Peter crisp self karaoke and it was good.
2: And the the live stuff that he did from I guess what was his you know final shows or whatever was going on a few years back I watched some of that today too and I was I was interested you know it sounded good to me I mean granted they're playing in a small club or you know small theater but um, you know the band seemed like they were probably a little too young for that should have been playing you know with this caliber of, of an artist but you know I found it interesting and a, a decent representation of how to play these songs I'll say it that way in terms of you know, how to you know what chords are going on here what are they playing.
0: Right. Um, And there was just a guy on three sides of the coin podcast who was involved in the recording of the show in Australia. And he uh, said that, you know, they do eventually they filmed it. They eventually want to put it out. They have the sound, but I guess there's some dispute with the rights with uh, uh, the, the video of it, like the company that shot the video. So they're trying to, you know, figure out how to pay them enough money that they can put it out and still make money it's an album that, that I struggled to appreciate fully. I think when I was a young kiss fan in the seventies and an album that I, I still struggle to appreciate today, but, but a little bit less. And, and I think there are at least three or four really strong songs on it. And one or two others that could have been strong and, and then there's the rest of the record. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, if I had a few final points, um, Again, I, again, I am so appreciative uh, of, of the opportunity to, to participate in this with you guys. Uh, it's so much fun, and again, you know, we're always Kiss fans, but you know, we don't always you know listen to Kiss 24 hours a day. And I've been sort of taking a break from that and, and writing stuff, and you know, doing you know the original stuff. But it's it's so great to rediscover your favorite band uh, to this level of detail. Um, and I'm also mm-hmm. going to go back and listen to the the Chelsea record. I haven't heard that in a long time because I want to investigate the Chelsea stuff. And where Stan Penridge came into the 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 equation because he's not on the record, but I think he was in a later version uh, after that record came out, and then he was also in a band called Lips with Peter Chris. So I'm gonna look up some of those demos. But there's a few interesting uh, tidbits uh, that I want to bring up. Sure. Uh, uh, one is uh, I found out that p- apparently Peter recorded as a guest musician with a band called the Raisins in 1968. Hmm. I haven't been able to find anything about that. Okay. But then on the hmm. on the Chelsea subject. I read too that um, in '73, two of the guys uh, from Chelsea um, played on two songs, and supposedly Gene Simmons was a session musician on that song, and it was a thing called Captain Sanity was the name of the band.
0: Really, that's interesting. Okay, I, I
2: that's the only thing I found. It was probably Wikipedia or whatever it was. I haven't found anything you know concrete other than that.
0: Yeah, um, but again, too,
2: on, on John's point too about you know. The guys that sort of did like a you know they're going to make a Kiss album, which would have been you know Paul and Ace in this case. You know if you look at it that way, did they sort of maybe take the easy way out and just do what they do? And you know where Gene and Peter, the guys that said well, I'm going to do something that is to me a little more interesting, maybe a little more you know inward you know facing. You know debatable. Um, but then again too, if if the idea is you're going to if you want to make the best Kiss album you can without you know the rest of the band members from Kiss, then what's the point of doing this solo album? You know. But then again too. Yeah,
1: it definitely. <laughs> So, albums are always weird. I mean, I always try, I'm a, I'm a yes completist and I try and get yeah. all the yes solo albums and, you know, there's a couple in there that would, you know, literally make you want to tear your eyes out that are so bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah. but then you sort of listen to it and you're like, oh, okay. I see a little bit here and there, you know what I mean? So it's, it falls in well with being a kiss completist to have this, but I yeah. can, um, and, and you do appreciate it more. Coming from the outside, though, I mean, I can't imagine anybody ever buying this album that isn't a Kiss fan, you know? That's the yeah. thing that sort of brings me down about it, is that as much as we talk about it, no one's going to buy this if they're, you know, an r and fan. I can't see, you know, someone oh, yeah. who exclusively listens to, you know, I can't see a Billy Price fan saying like, oh, Peter Criss yeah. new album, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. so it's sort of like, why did you do it that way, but then you know i mean like i said it's like seeing these bands that make these solo albums i mean what's what's uh, what the, the guitar player for yes uh, steve,
3: steve Howe,
1: he puts out a freaking solo album like every couple of years and they're this last one he put out is actually not bad cuz i listened to all of them
2: yeah, but, I like the few, last
1: yeah. the two or three before that these he put out something like homebrew 1 through 6 like one a year or whatever and they're yeah. terrible but I bet you he that's his excuse to go out and tour, you know what I mean, yeah. and make a little extra money and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And um, it's definitely interesting when you sort of you start to know these musicians almost as people rather than as people that are, like, entertaining you. So you tend to give them more leeway in what they're handing you. You know, you're like, oh, OK, like, I'll like, you know, I'll listen to this because it's the guy from Kiss. And maybe that'll change your perspective on things. But then maybe, you know. Maybe not. So I feel bad that I'm sort of bad-mouthing this album because, you know, he tried. He did something totally different, you know, and it's just sad that it's because he's pigeonholed as the drummer of Kiss that, you know, there was never any way to... Because, I, I mean, I, you know, what, what we've decided there's three good songs on this. I can name, you know, tons of albums that I've bought that only have two good songs on them. You know what sure. I mean? So had this had more of a universal appeal or people didn't see a guy wearing cat makeup on it, you know, who knows what could have happened with
0: it. Yeah, maybe. Um You know, I think it's interesting, too, that when you have a great band, part of the great band is that it's like you have the strings that are kept in tension on an instrument that help keep each other in tune, right? So you you mm-hmm. have the one guy in the band that has the crazy idea, and sometimes it's brilliant, and sometimes it's just crazy, and it de- you depend upon the other three guys to keep you know that in line and say yeah gene that's awesome we'll do that and that's a terrible idea we're not going to do that song you know and and so then when you have the freedom to do a solo album uh and nobody telling you no um Mm -hmm. I, i think it says something interesting about rock and roll though that we can all agree that this is not a successful album in terms of its impact but it's not because it's not well recorded it's not because the players on it aren't awesome players, right? So you can have an album that's well recorded that is you know, the songs are, are, are structurally there. They're solid and and everybody is, is playing really well, singing really well, and it's still terrible. I mean like
1: <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, I, I hear you man. I just yeah. Uh, yeah. I almost whoops. I was feeling bad about
3: it. Yeah, yeah. We
0: love you. P- we love you, Peter, Chris. Don't don't hate us for not loving this album.
2: Yeah, I'm sure he's but, listening to this. Right. A couple other quick uh, follow-up points. Um, you know, again, on the Kiss album approach, if you're going to do a, the first thing you would have expected when you bought this record as a kid, uh, from you know there was an album by the drummer, you know, from Kiss. You would expect something like a Gene Krupa drum boogie or a John Bonham Moby Dick, and we didn't get that on this record. We didn't get anything close to that. Point. Mm-hmm. But you know, you read these stories about how he supposedly did this, you know, amazing drum solo um, in the, I guess it would have been the breakdown of uh, the song "Strange Ways" on "Hotter Than Hell." You know, where's that? You know, I mean, does it exist? It's interesting. He just he did, it didn't even go down the road of I'm going to do something that is you know drum oriented. I, I think I think that would have been interesting to, to hear.
0: Well, also, he, he had had little mini casts on each well, one of his fingers true. from the car accident. So, you know, he might have felt like he wasn't, you know, even capable of doing like a really good drum solo at that point.
2: You're right. But it, again, it, this brings back the initial point that I made at the beginning of our, our discussion. You know, I mean, was that you know, the final you know, nail in the coffin for whether or not he was going to be on – uh, dynasty and unmasked maybe you know it wasn't other than the fact that, you know we we always think that okay peter and ace wanted to leave the band because he kissed me the so a fan and the things weren't going great and da da You know, that they wanted they were sort of you know planning their exit from the band if, if you believe that but you know I, again i listen to a song like um sugar papa likes that drumming's great and it would it would hold up on dynasty or unmasked in my opinion you know mm-hmm. but i'm not i'm not in the band i'm not i wasn't there when it was done but from a fan's perspective i could see that type of drumming going on those two albums that followed. Um, Absolutely. And the last point I'll make is, it, thanks guys, and the last point I'll make is, um, you know, John, you mentioned there's two or three good songs on the record. I think it would be an interesting homework assignment for us to pick two or three. If we had to say, assemble a KISS record from the four KISS solo records, what songs would we pick from those four records and would that hold up as an album? Would it, would it seem like it works at all? all
1: right. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. We'll all do right. it. That'll be our homework assignment for next next
0: meeting. Okay. Next, cool.
1: Uh, what are we talking about next? Dynasty?
0: Yes, Dynasty. Kiss disco. I so like everybody have a great week. We will uh talk to you next week. All right, cool. Take care everyone. See
1: ya.